Good afternoon, church. My name is Jake Gutierrez. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I get to serve alongside my best friends in the college ministry, and, and I'm a member of the Manchac CG. Today we're going to be reading from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. But just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they are not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they are not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. What's up, y'all? How is it going? Man, I've missed y'all. If I can, you know, be vulnerable for a split second. Uh, Happy New Year. We are in 2022, which still feels crazy to say out loud. Uh, I turned 30 this year, which I'm very excited about. Uh, But it feels like two years ago I was like 22, you know. It's just this weird uh, time thing. So, Hey, the last time we met as a church, it was actually before Christmas, so I hope your holidays have been awesome, enjoyable, uh, and we are actually just coming off a reset week as a church, so we didn't meet last week, uh, rather decided to, to rest and reflect on what the Lord had done in 2021, and the hope is that as, as we've reflect on, or reflected on what the Lord has done last year, that it actually built in us this expectation for him to move powerfully in 2022, right? And I think that makes sense. We are in the season of setting expectations, right? Isn't that what the New Year's kind of vibe is all about? We set expectations, um, not just for what we want God to do or how we desire for him to move, but even for ourselves spiritually uh, in the form of New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, And some of us in here are goal setters. Others not so much, right? No hate. Um, But whether you're a goal setter or not, I do believe that if you're a believer in Christ, this is a great opportunity to be intentional about how the Lord would would grow you this year, right? Whether it's being in the word more, praying more, whatever. What what element of your spiritual walk um, could use some growth this year? I think it's uh, right to be intentional in this season, but this is not a sermon about that. This isn't a sermon about how to be a spiritual juggernaut in 2022, right? How to crush it for the kingdom in 2022. Uh, But rather, this sermon is about what happens when our spiritual expectations for who we desire to be in Christ starts to diverge from the spiritual reality, 
right? What happens when we desire to actually be better for God, maybe even make promises, promises to him, and yet come face-to-face with spiritual failure, face-to-face with our brokenness, and oftentimes the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that we can experience in moments like that <clears throat> can land us in a spiritual valley, a time where we feel distant from God, may even be running from Get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> um, but, but it can land us in a spiritual valley, a time where we may feel distant from him, right? Uh, my junior year of college was a time where I experienced just amazing spiritual growth. And so my expectation going into senior year is that I'd even grow even more closer to the Lord, that I'd be praying more and in the word more. Until the summer going into my senior year, my job called me, let me know that they're laying off all their interns. And this was an internship that helped me pay for everything. And so the anxiety of not knowing where my next paycheck was going to come from took a, took a toll on my spiritual life. I didn't really desire to pray as much. I didn't desire to be in the word. I didn't desire to go to community group. And at one point I found myself realizing, oh my goodness, who I am right now is so far beneath who I thought I was going to be in Christ. And just the thought of that led to more shame, more guilt, and more feeling distant from him. And so the question today is not, how does God see us when we're on our best behavior? But rather, how does God see us when we're failures, when we don't measure up? And the second question I want to ask is, how does God desire to use our spiritual failures? How does God desire to use the spiritual valleys that they often cause? Those are the two questions that I want to ask and answer. And I think we can answer those questions by studying the life of Peter. Nothing fancy, just going through a season in his life, making some observations. And my hope is that we'd be able to develop some sort of framework for how God sees us when we feel far from him, and when we fail as his children. And that this framework that we, that we put together helps us navigate these spiritual valleys that we often find ourselves in. So that's where we're going. So you want to talk about someone with high expectations of himself? That's Peter. Peter had very high expectations. And he wasn't shy about expressing them either, right? Matthew 26 Um, Before Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells all of his disciples, including Peter, you guys are all going to run from me when it gets real. When I get arrested and I'm about to be crucified, y'all are all going to flee. And Peter's like, not me. Nope. Not me. These (laughs) these buffoons might run, not me. Right? (laughs) Jesus sets him straight. Peter, tonight you're going to pretend like you don't even know that I exist, that, that we're not even cool. Three times, that's going to happen. Not next week, not next month, like in a few hours, you're going to pretend like you don't even know me. Three different times. And then Peter doubles down. Nope, not happening. Not only will I never deny you, I'll die for you. And so you see Peter set this tremendous expectation for himself, what his spiritual walk is going to look like, what he's going to do for God. And scripture tells us that he falls flat on his face not too long after that. It tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus gets arrested, Jesus, what Jesus said actually happens. All of the disciples flee, including Peter. But Peter actually follows close behind. 
and he follows Jesus and, and the mob as they take him to the high priest. And as they get to the spot, Peter starts to, to warm himself over a fire from a distance so that he can see what's happening to Jesus but with, without being too closely affiliated with him. And someone recognizes him. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? Nope, don't know that guy. Second person, not too long after. I'm pretty sure I've seen you in this guy's pot. Are you sure you're not? I don't know who that guy is. Third time, Luke 22, verse 60 through 62. Third time he's recognized by a different person. And he says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned to him and looked directly at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter locks eyes with the creator of the universe, and it dawns on him that he has fallen so far from who he thought he was going to be as his follower. And how does he respond? He runs, and he weeps bitterly. Because there's a lot of shame in Peter. There's so much shame in Peter. And where does he go? I would argue into his spiritual valley. Where does he go physically, though? Where does he actually go? Verse 3 of our passage. He tells, he tells the disciples, listen, guys, I'm going fishing. And so before Jesus called Peter into relationship, Peter was a fisherman. So Peter's going to do the very same thing he was doing before Jesus called him at the very same place that he was before Jesus called him. And so this is, this is Peter in his shame, in realizing that he doesn't measure up, in realizing that he's dropped the ball, starts to adopt his old habits of his former lifestyle, right? He starts to backslide. And what's interesting is the role that his community plays in this moment. They tell him, we're coming with you. Which is really crazy because if I was his community, I'd be preaching at Peter, right? You're going fishing? You mean for men, right? Because that's what God has called you to, Peter. I mean, let's go, right? You are a leader of God's people. Pull yourself together, Peter. No, we're, we're coming with you. There's a sense of, of empathy. We're coming with you. They're not preaching at him. But they are present with him. They invite themselves. And we see the role of this. We see the benefit of, of still being in community. Even when you feel far from God, we see the benefit of that in the next couple verses. But Peter could have denied them and said, no, no, no. But he lets them. And so even for us, as we experience these spiritual valleys and the temptation is to isolate. And even if we're adopting habits that we've, we've given up to follow Christ. Would we still in that place fight for community? And we see the benefit of it in the next couple verses. As Peter is fishing, another thing to note is that even though he's performing his job, this is what Peter did before, um, before uh, Christ called him. He's not just working here. Peter's actually numbing himself, I believe. I think that there's so much shame in Peter. He thinks he's dropped the ball so badly that not only is he going back to his former life, he feels so much shame, he's looking for anything and, and to distract him from the shame that he feels. If I can just work myself, if I can just numb myself with work, I can distract myself from the voices that remind me how much of a failure I'm, I am. And yet the benefit 
of being in community is shown in the next couple of verses. As he's numbing himself, we see that Jesus shows up on shore. And he yells out to them, hey, children, do you have any fish? No, because they've stayed up all night and caught nothing is what the text says. Jesus says, okay, try casting the net on the other side of the boat. And they do that, and they're not able to haul in how much fish that they catch. And what's really crazy about that is if, you, if, you've, if you're familiar with this story in Scripture, you'll know that this isn't the first time this miracle has happened. This is the very same miracle that, that Christ used to first call Peter into relationship with him. Their very first encounter, Christ shows up in Peter's boat and performs this very same miracle. But even though this is Peter's miracle, Peter doesn't recognize that it's the Lord. Get that? Because he's numbing. He's distracted. He's just working away. And the benefit of having community with you, even in your lowest point, is when you're not sensitive to what God is doing, your community might be. And so we see here that it's John is the one that sees that it's Jesus. And not just that it's Jesus, but he's performing Peter's miracle. He tells Peter, listen, it is the Lord. And so as a community, we don't preach. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't have to. But we're present, right? Present, not just to be present, but to look for opportunities to point to Jesus, right? That we empathize and yet encourage. Here's what I feel like the Lord may be doing. As we are in our spiritual valleys, it's hard to be sensitive to what the Lord might be doing. But when we fight for community, as Tori's mentioned, sometimes our community fights for us and they're able to be sensitive when we're not, right? I love Peter's response, though. Peter's response is not clean. Homeboy throws on his outer garments and flops himself into the water and attempts to swim back to Jesus, right? Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I do not see elegance, right? I don't see uh, eloquence. I don't know if that's the same word, but I just, you know. I don't see, uh, I don't see Michael Phelps' perfect form. I see a hot mess, right? You throw me in the Sea of Tiberias, is probably what you'll get. Like a mediocre doggy paddle, just flailing, just trying to make it. Uh, and I think I'm informed, right? I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I think I'm informed because, you know, earlier on in the scriptures, it talks about how Jesus allowed Peter to walk on water. And what happens is he gets out, out the boat and starts to walk on water. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. But then he starts to sink, like legit starts to sink. And what does he do? Does he start treading water like a boss? Like, oh, no, no, I, I know how to swim. I got this. He, no, he starts flailing, like, help me, Jesus, I am drowning. And so homeboy with mediocre doggy paddle skills throws himself into the water to attempt to make it back to Jesus, which also doesn't make sense for multiple reasons, right? If I'm attempting to make it to, from point A to point B the fastest I can possible make it, I would first recognize that I'm, I'm in a boat. That's what this is designed for, right? Right? And not to mention, he throws on his garments to, like, be more efficient with his strokes. You know, you, you shed weight to move faster. I don't know. Peter is reacting. That's the point. He's not thinking. He's just reacting. And it's messy, but it's in the right direction. It's, it's towards Jesus. We think we got to be pretty and polished before we can start taking baby steps towards Christ when we mess up. We see Peter here model what it looks like to struggle well. Inch your way back to Christ. If that's what it is, an inch, he'll, he'll wait for you. 
Uh, when I first moved to Dallas after we graduated, uh, some of you guys can attest to this. The, the college to post-college transition is often the hardest. Um, you've got new community, new church, new job, new sometimes relationship status, new. I mean, it can be a little overwhelming. And that took a hit on my personal walk, too. And, I, I, you know, I really desired that my prayer life would, would thrive, but it wasn't. And I felt bad about that. One night I woke up, though, at like 4 a.m. and just really desired, like, I wish to pour my heart out to the Lord, but the only thing that came out was the Lord's prayer. And so I just felt so bad. And the, the next couple of days I was telling a, a pastor friend of mine, man, I, I don't know why it's so hard. I, like, want to pour my heart out, but I, I can't. And this is all that came out, and it's just kind of disappointing. And he was like, listen, bro, if you literally desired to, to spend time with the Lord, you got up at 4 in the morning and the only thing that came out of your mouth was the Lord's prayer, you know God delights in that, right? I'm expecting a pretty polished four-hour prayer session. And so I'm disappointed with 45 seconds. And so it's not pretty, but it's in the right direction. And what's beautiful about this is we see Jesus as he calls Peter. He doesn't clown him for swimming when he could have just took, taken the boat. But rather he waits. And I'd imagine waits patiently. So Peter runs. Christ initiates pursuit. Peter numbs. Christ calls him. And Peter responds. It's not pretty, but it's in the right direction. And Christ waits for him. Right? We see what happens when Peter gets to shore. <clears throat> Verse 9 tells us that there's a, a charcoal fire there when he arrives. Now, here's the thing about a charcoal fire. It only appears uh, two places in Scripture. Here, where Jesus has a charcoal fire waiting for Peter with fish, and fish laid out on it. And then in the moment, Peter denied Jesus three times. A charcoal fire is what Peter was warming himself over. And so Peter is returning to shore, flailing, trying to make it back, gets to shore. He sees Jesus. And immediately sees and smells his failure. Can you, like, can you all imagine this, right? Uh, essential oils. Who's into them? <laughs> Who's into them? Where's my wife at? There's, her hand better be up. Uh, and I used to not, you know, I wasn't into them at first, but, like, I'm a believer now. But at first it was just, it was just a little much, right? I came home one day and she was wearing something I just never smelled before in my life. And I was like, what are you wearing? She looked at me and said, everything. <laughs> I've got thieves, melaleuca, deep blue, lavender, lemongrass. I was like, yo, okay, you know, you do you. But I want you to imagine, imagine a spiritual valley that you've been through or may even be in right now. A time where you felt so distant from the Lord. And I want you to imagine that season as a scent, right? A candle or an essential oil. Yusuf's biggest failure. What does it smell like? Imagine that. What does it smell like? And now imagine Jesus inviting you over, and before a word leaves his mouth, he drops some of that oil in the diffuser, or he lights this candle, and the scent of your biggest failure starts to fill the room in front of the creator of the universe. 
Like, what are you thinking? Experience, this is what Peter, this is what I think Peter's going through. Like, what do you think is about to come out of his mouth, Jesus' mouth? Is Jesus being passive aggressive here? What's that smell? What the? What is that smell? Peter! You smell that, Peter? <laughs> smells like your failure, doesn't it, Peter? Right? It's not hidden. God smells it. Peter smells it. Disciples smell it. So if you were to guess, what the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth are. Verse 12. Come and have breakfast. What? Come and have breakfast? You know, it, it was true back then as it's true now that you eat meals, like you share meals with, with people you like. Like you eat, you eat with your friends. And so we see here at the height of Peter's failure, dead center, Jesus makes a declaration. Hey, I still delight in you. I still want to be friends with you. I don't just love you. I I like you, Peter. Do you see God that way? Do you see God that way? When when he told his disciples, hey, listen, I I don't call you guys servants anymore. I call you friends. Because servants don't know what the master is up to. And if you are my follower, I've let you in on what I'm doing. I've let you in on my kingdom, and I want you to be a part of it. You're my friends. And I just, I feel like the struggle when it comes to being in a spiritual valley is you start to believe the lie that, man, not only does God, you struggle to believe that God loves you, but that he even likes you. God loves you. In Christ, he likes you. He delights in you. And what we see in this moment is he allows Peter to come face to face with his biggest failure in order to see that he still delights in him. He doesn't cut it out of the Bible. He doesn't erase Peter's memory. He doesn't erase the memory of people that saw it. He brings it front and center so that Peter can experience with all of his senses that the grace of God is bigger than his failure. You believe that? Do you believe that? For the longest time, I, I didn't, and I still struggle to believe that. I've got to work my way back, right? Penance. You, you fall, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you do something to make God happy, and then you earn your way back. It's a lie. In Christ, God delights in you, regardless of where you are, even today. After breakfast, Jesus and Peter exchange words. <clears throat> Verse 17. Um, this is the third time that, that Jesus asked Peter, hey, do you love me? He asked him first two times, hey, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, I love you. Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Tend my flock. Feed my lambs. He asked him this question three times. This is the third time that he asked him. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So, like, what direction is that, by the way? It's forward, right? I mean, remember, there's a charcoal fire there. So is it, do you love me, Peter? Okay, yes, okay, let's go over here and talk about this charcoal fire, Peter. Smell it, Peter. What was going on, huh? Right? What do you have to say for yourself, Peter? I mean, if you really love me, then I mean, it didn't look like it a couple days ago. What's going on here? Some of us think that's how God talks. That he wants you, he desires that you sit and sulk in your shame. But he points them forward. He not only reinstates the friendship, he reinstates Peter's purpose. Peter, feed my sheep, man. Feed my sheep. Because it's not just about you, Peter. There are sheep. It's not just about you, Peter. There are sheep. I am building a kingdom and I have appointed you to be a leader amongst my people. And so what shame does, it makes us so selfish. When you are so drowning in your shame, it's hard to think about anyone or anything other than yourself. It's hard to think about how God wants to use you in the lives of, in your life to impact the lives of people around you. It's hard to think about who to love at work and how to love your neighbor better or how to X, Y, and Z, how to, how to be Christ to people outside of yourself. It's hard to do that when you're sulking in shame. And so we see Peter hear the words of Jesus, repurpose him, feed my sheep, man. It's not just about you. Yes, you failed. No one's hiding it. It's right here. Yes, you had high expectations of yourself and you fell drastically short of them. But you are here in this moment. Your senses are picking up your failure, but your senses are also picking up the fact that my love is greater. It's not just meant to stay here, though, Peter. They're sheep. It's not just meant to be like, oh, my gosh, God is so gracious. No, 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 no. This is to uplift the shame so that you can get back to work with God. Because there is a world out there that is dying. The world is bigger than our shame. There are people out there that experience the same shame you do but have zero hope. And it's our job as believers in Christ to take this good news to them. And we won't and can't if we can't get over ourselves. God wants us to get back to work, to experience his love for the sake of loving other people. And it can't happen if we're stuck in our shame. And so if we're going to ask the question, how does God see us when our response to spiritual failure is to grow distant from him? We said we were going to make some observations. Let's just recap. We see Peter runs. Christ initiates pursuit. Peter numbs himself. Christ calls him. And the beauty of it is because he's still in community, even though Peter doesn't recognize it, he hears from his community, points him to Christ. Peter returns. It's not messy. It's not clean. It's messy, but it's in the right direction. And so even if you are in a spiritual valley, it's like what what lies are you believing that keep you from taking one baby step towards Christ? Because he will wait for you however long it takes He's a patient God. He restores friendship, he re- he, and he reinstates his purpose. That our lives on this earth are not just about us and our mistakes. But God wants to use us and our mistakes to make much of his kingdom and glorify him. The exchange doesn't stop there, though. Jesus goes on to restore Peter. 
in a really interesting, I think the most mind-blowing way. 18, verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This, this whole story blows my mind. This blows my mind the most out of this entire story. Let's not forget, Peter is the one that said he would die for Jesus. Right? That was his original expectation. That was his resolution. Right? And we make resolutions too. We make high ones. But that was Peter's. It's mind-blowing to think that Peter makes that resolution, falls drastically short, but yet at the end of his life, he would be someone who actually had the, the power, the capability to, to do what he said he wanted to do to begin with. Does that make sense? Like, how does that happen, right? How do you go from, God, I want to do great things for your kingdom, be given the opportunity fall drastically short, yet by the end of your life, you're actually the person you said you wanted to become? It's because the original resolution, he tried to carry it out in his own power, fell short, had to experience the the real true grace of God, the power of God, to know that there's nothing that he can do to earn God's favor, to be empowered by his Holy Spirit, to where he actually becomes the person he claimed he wanted to be to begin with. And guess what? His spiritual valley was a part of the process. What process? The process of becoming the person he claimed he wanted to be. That's what Christ can do to our spiritual valleys. When we, when we are so soaking in shame and we feel like we are so far gone, if we allow him, God can turn our spiritual valleys into gospel trophies. He can turn our spiritual vows where we feel most distant from him into a season that actually molds and shapes us into the image of his son. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I ask myself, how is this possible? Like, can we really think about this? Our God isn't a pushover. Right? You can't just screw up. And come to God and say, I'm sorry. And he'd be like, oh, okay, no big deal. He's not a push-up. He's a perfect judge. And so how is it that as Peter denies Christ, runs from Christ, runs from his purpose, that he's still able to be called a friend of God? How does that happen? Find the answer in Jesus See, Jesus never denied the Father. He never denied his calling. He never denied who he was. He never fell short of any spiritual expectation. He was absolutely perfect. Perfectly loyal. Perfect in every sense of the word. And yet, it's not only Peter that denies Christ. But on the cross, the Father did too. The Father turns his face away. And Jesus becomes the denied one, though he never denied anyone. Why? Love. 
God loves us so much. And though our sin does separate us from him and calls for the highest payment, he was willing to pay it. Because God delights in us. He wants to be our friend. He wants us to know the joy of friendship with him. There is no such thing as joy apart from relationship with God. And he doesn't owe us anything. But he desires to pay the price for our sin because he loves us. So that every time we deny Christ, every time we say that we're not going to sin again, I'll never do it again, Lord, I promise. Our sins can actually be paid for when we do fall short. So that now we believe in him, we're able to be restored, recommissioned to go back out in power. And it's not to say we're never going to mess up. It's not to say we're never going to find ourselves in the spiritual valleys. It's to say that we have now been given the Holy Spirit. We have God's stamp of approval if we've received Christ as our just punishment for our sins. If we've received Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees a friend. He sees a child of his because of what Christ has done. And he turns our failures into gospel trophies. And so my prayer is, as we think about that, man, as we go through 2022 and we're making goals and resolutions, it's going to be very tempting to fall short, to come face to face with your brokenness and believe the lie that the gospel isn't big enough to cover it, to cover you, that you're unlovable, that you're unlikable. If you're in Christ, God loves you, and there's nothing more he can do to prove it or show it. He gave himself, he gave his son. So would we believe that? Would we fight for community when it's the hardest, when it's hardest to, right? When we desire to isolate because the shame is driving us away. Would we find people, would we, we, would we be a community that actually encourages and empathizes and doesn't always have to feel like we have to preach at the our brothers and sisters that are struggling, but actually enter with them and see how we can serve and love them and point them to Jesus. I think that that's where the Lord wants to take us in 2020. And my prayer is that if you find yourself in a spiritual valley this year, that you would remember this. You would remember who your God is. That you would remember the story of his great grace and how it surpasses all understanding and especially your sin and your downfalls. Amen. All right. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that failures do not separate us from you because they've been paid for if we are in Christ Jesus. And you don't erase our failures, you don't pretend like they never happen. Rather, you've allowed for for your son to pay for them because of your great love for us, Father. So my prayer is that when we're tempted to give in to the shame of falling short, that we would remember your grace. We would remember how patient you are, how much you pursue us, love us, initiate pursuit. That even this message today is, is you initiating pursuit for someone out here that maybe didn't even want to come today. But this is there. They haven't been to church in a year maybe. But them just coming to church is them taking a baby step in the right direction to hear this message of great love and great grace for all who would receive it in Christ Jesus. 
God, we love you. Thank you for, for the price that you paid for us so that we could be in relationship with you. Right now, we're actually going to move into a time of communion.